I feel like this type of, as you're calling it, disruption is really the same disruption that is needed on a global level in order to be able to heal all of the pandemics. Because without that, you're still running in the groove. You're still doing the same thing, thinking the same thing, acting the same way. You haven't given yourself any kind of space for any other perspective or any other truth to arise. And the truth arising is scary. Citizen Podcast. Welcome to Citizen Podcast. I'm Carrie Kelly. It's so good to be back. It's been a minute since we've connected on this podcast, and a big part of that is because I've been struggling with burnout and learning a whole lot about what it really means to take care of each other in this work. I say that as someone who's practiced sustainable activism for years. I thought I was doing enough to stay in the game and be well along the way. Apparently, I wasn't. I'm finally starting to recover my mental and physical health, and I'm really excited to explore the theme of recovery and repair in this new season of Citizen Podcast. We'll be talking to some amazing humans, leaders in healing, who are inviting us to rest, to embrace grief, to look at our trauma and suffering with a more curious and compassionate eye so that we can stay connected, stay in the conversation, and stay in mutual care as we keep going. Because we need to keep going. There is so much more to be done to heal the past and fight for the future. I'm grateful to be on this journey with you all, and I'm learning every day what it is to say yes to life, yes to this practice, yes to asking for help, and yes to showing up for whatever this next moment has in store for us. Kicking off this season is the powerful Tracy Stanley, whose new book, Radiant Rest, has been a lifeline for me in the last couple months. In the book, Tracy says that rest is our birthright. And when we are able to embrace that, we begin to see how we've been asleep in our lives. It is an essential practice, especially in a moment when dominant culture is telling us to get back to normal and perform being woke. We practice rest so that we can remain awake, awake to the reality of our interdependence and collective survival. Tracy reminds us that rest is revolutionary. It's how we take our power back and live into the more just and generous future that we all deserve. Check it out. Welcome, Tracy Stanley. Mm, thank you so much for having me, Carrie. So I want to, you know me well enough to know this is totally my style. I want to dig right in. <laughs> dig in. Let's go. Um, and I, I'd really love to start by talking about this moment in time um, because it, it feels related to the book that you just wrote. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is an, an unprecedented moment um, as we're now approaching one year in quarantine. Um, and during that year, that, there has been this enormous awakening to the reality um, of what it is to be alive on the planet right now and to the reality that 
that truthfully has been here all along, right? We've just been unable to, to, to see it or feel it or experience it in the ways that we are now. Um, whether it's the awakening to gross inequality and health disparities, right, as evidenced by the coronavirus, whether it's um, um, the real-time legacy of racial injustice or, or the planet, you know, we both are from Topanga, right, the planet crying out for mercy mm -hmm. um, with just like nonstop wildfires and unprecedented winter storms in places like the South. Um, and I, I do wonder if we would have been capable of seeing and feeling right into these collective issues had we not slowed down and stilled ourselves in, in, in this pandemic moment. And so I'm curious what, what you think about that. Do you think that the pandemic has created sort of like an opening for us to see and feel more clearly? Mm, yes, yes, yes. You know, the pandemic as horrible, and, and now I'm really referring to the pandemic that um, started to affect people the most because it was a health crisis and is, continues to be a health crisis, so COVID-19 pandemic. That pandemic caused us to literally put a spoke in the wheel to stop everything from running on a global level. And so it kind of threw us into a global sadhana. Sadhana means a committed practice. And usually when you do a committed practice, you actually choose <laughs> that you're going to do the practice. You actually say, okay, I'm gonna start this practice on day one and I'm gonna end it on day 40. And so you know when the beginning of the practice is and when the, the end of the practice is going to be. But instead we got thrown into this sadhana of really disrupting our entire way of life, um, throwing us into stillness. And I think what we learned first, because I feel like it came in layers. And so I can only really talk about what I observed and what I experienced within my own self and other people may have different experiences. But the first layer was kind of like, oh, this layer, like I have to stay home. There's nothing to do. I'm going to, I'm going to take a break because this is going to be over soon. And in that break that people were taking, I think people really started to feel and understand just how exhausted they really were, right? There was this like low level of exhaustion and stress that was like, whoa, I, I'm still now, and now I can really feel how tired I really am. And so, you know, I remember back in the day when I was working massive hours, I'd go on vacation. And the minute I would go on vacation, I might get sick, right? Because it's like, you've been going and going and going. And then the minute you slow down, it's like, okay, the body is going to do what it needs to heal. And so that feels like it was the first layer. And then what I also started to notice was that then that space, because what happened is the pause and everything, the stillness and everything created this feeling of spaciousness. And immediately we felt like we had to fill that space with something. And so depending on where you were in life or where you are in life, 
you could fill that with rest. You could fill that with more yoga practice, with more walks in nature, or you could actually fill it with more things to do. And so what I started to notice right away, maybe within two weeks of being locked down, is that all of a sudden it felt like everybody went into, into this productivity mode. Like, oh, this is the time that I need to just get all the things done and all the things that I wanted to do and all the programs and all the this and all the trainings and all the that. And I've got to stuff this space. And so one of the things that I think it's lost when we try to bring something into a space without a level of consciousness or awareness of what we're actually doing is that we actually have a tendency to just skip over a really sacred portal that if we can just be still and we can cultivate the ability to be still, we can actually mine a lot of wisdom and a lot of healing from the space. And then we can say, okay, well, I'm getting something out of this space. How can I be reciprocal to this and give something back? so that it becomes a relationship as opposed to us always looking for a way to extract something out of a situation. And that's what I think Mm. happened is that we were extracting, okay, this pandemic is not great. Obviously it's terrible. At this point, there's over half a million people who have lost their lives, but I'm going to find a way to make it productive for myself. And so I think that we have to, what I think we've learned is that we can let go of equating thriving with doing. Letting go of equating thriving with success, material goods, all the likes, all the things. And really in that stillness, for stillness now over months and months and months, you get to actually check in and understand how well are you really? Mm. How well are you really? How well is your mind? How well are, are you relating to others in confined situations and intense situations of, you know, just disruption everywhere? How well are you in the body? How well are you in the spirit? And then at some point, you have to come face to face with those answers. And then once you receive those answers, you have a choice to either ignore and to keep doing, to distract yourself from truth, or you have a responsibility to yourself Mm. to figure out how can I heal? And if you don't have those answers, Hopefully you have elders in your community or you have friends in your community that you can reach out to or you find resources and you start to do that work. But that work is done in stillness. It's done in quietude. Mm -hmm. The other thing um, that what you're saying reminds me of in my own experience was you know, this time has really revealed my capacity, or I should say incapacity for discomfort. And I'm just thinking about 
in the space that the pandemic created, how much agitation rose up, how much grief we were experiencing on a collective level that we couldn't even name, right? It was like a, it was just like a frequency in the air. Um, and I, I also think like the resistance to not being productive, right? Like feeling like I'm not productive enough and then feeling shame about it, like that, mm-hmm. that toxic loop. It is, um, it's a loop. And how I couldn't escape myself in the ways that I used to be able to escape myself. Like I was really forced to, to reckon with my discomfort and find a way to work with it. And I feel like this is really where your, your work comes in as almost like a capacity builder. It's like, it helps us build a capacity for like how we meet those moments and hold that discomfort. That 100%, the, the practices of yoga nidra and deep relaxation and meditation, they will expand your capacity to hold and they will expand your capacity to be held. Mm. And, and that's the thing that we distract ourselves from is being able to surrender and allow ourselves to be held and to deeply rest. And instead we run with distraction, or at least this is what I've observed. Not everybody may do this, but we run, I do this. <laughs> we run from especially the uncertainty of the unknown, which is really what we were faced with in the very beginning of uh, the pandemic and what we continue to be faced with now. And then as those layers started to kind of be revealed to us of, of truth is like, first is this health pandemic. And then it's like, oh, the pandemic that you forgot about, which is the pandemic of racism is, is here. You forgot about that, but now it's here for you to look at again. Or you refuse to see it. Or, you refuse, or you refuse to see it, but it's here. And then you have this climate crisis, which is the other thing that we merrily go about our business pretending is not happening. And so now we're faced with the question of, do we go deeper into inquiry or do we just continue to distract and run away? There's no in-between anymore. And so during this time, Rest really emerges as a revolutionary act in the face of all that is being demanded of us and all that is happening around us. And rest being a revolutionary act feels countercultural to like what we were taught that rest is something that you have to earn, right? Or that rest is lazy, or that rest is like ancillary time. And it does feel like rest has really, um, emerged as a a radical tool in the social and spiritual work that that we're doing. And I know that your book, Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity is really all about this. And so I, I was hoping that you could help us understand rest and specifically the difference between rest and sleep and and the difference between rest, sleep and yoga nidra. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So what I would say is that, you know, I've been um, practicing and teaching yoga nidra since 2001 and made my first recordings of yoga nidra in 2004. So I've been on this yoga nidra train with a lot of other people for a long time. 
And at the same time, there are people who are speaking about rest as a revolutionary act, like Trisha Hershey from the NAP ministry. And, you know, it ties in in the way of, you know, I, I think that I was lucky in the way that when I was brought up, my dad would always go to bed early and he would wake up with the sun and he would always say, I'm getting my beauty sleep. Right. So on the one hand, he was getting his beauty sleep <laughs> and he was waking up with the sun and he was an extremely um, successful and productive entrepreneur. I don't and and it but I never saw him take a nap. Right. So he ne- he would never he had his schedule. He had his ritual of waking up with the sun, making us breakfast you know, seeing my mom off to work, going to work, coming home, having dinner, maybe watching a television show, although we didn't, weren't really allowed to watch TV. And then he would go to sleep and he would be in bed by like nine o'clock or earlier. So, but what I was also aware of, especially at that time um, growing up, And one of the reasons why we were not allowed to watch television is because the ways that African-Americans were being depicted and Caribbean-Americans even being depicted on television was lazy, right? And so the message comes in that if you're seen resting, you're, you're lazy, you're worthless. And then we can go back even further to talk about intergenerational trauma that is passed down if you were, you know, if you're a child of um, people who were enslaved, your life was in jeopardy. You were worked and overworked more than any human being ever should be because you were a piece of property like an ox or a horse. And just like if an ox or a horse is going to stop, something's going to happen bad to you. So I think that it is a revolutionary act to reclaim rest. And I think that we can reclaim our rest in many different ways. We can reclaim our rest by taking a nap, right? We can reclaim our rest by making sure we do go to bed early, and that we try to have good sleep hygiene and to do all the things that we know, like not having blue light and taking a hot bath 90 minutes before you go to bed and making sure you keep your room at 65 degrees temperature and all the things and all the beautiful tonics that you can, can take um, and salves that you can put on your body and oils that you can put on your feet to help you to sleep. And it can also be the conscious practice of conscious sleep, which is yoga nidra, which is a spiritual practice. And that's not to say that any of those other things like rest, napping, or sleeping cannot be spiritual, because I think spiritual is what we make it. It's our intention when we do something that makes something a spiritual practice. So to answer your question about resting and yoga nidra, yoga nidra 
is a spiritual practice that is the practice of deep relaxation, allowing us to be guided or to self-guide ourselves into allowing the body to release and let go to the point where we become aware of prana. And prana is this vital life force that rides on the breath. Breath is one of its vehicles. Food is another vehicle. Sound can be another vehicle. But we become aware or sensitive to prana. And that pranic sensitivity starts to mature into pranic awareness. And then we can surrender enough that we allow ourselves to be guided by prana. We follow prana back to its source. And so ultimately, yoga nidra is what we would say is a pratyahara practice. It's a practice where pratyahara is one of the limbs of yoga that is usually translated as withdrawal of the senses. But it's the withdrawal of the senses in order for us to expand back into our origin. So it's a very deep practice that really allows you to move into this space of nothingness, of no thought, of complete and utter non-doing. And then it allows you to just rest in spacious awareness. And the, the byproduct of what comes after you awaken from yoga nidra practice is that you are deeply rested and you are deeply rejuvenated. And so there's been a lot of um, talk over the years that 30 to 40 minutes of yoga nidra practice is the same as sleeping for three hours. And I don't know that every, anyone has actually ever exactly proven that to be true, <laughs> but there are experiments that have been done with people who have mastered the technique and the state of yoga nidra, because yoga nidra is also a state of consciousness that is very similar to samadhi. And they found that when these yogis were resting and practicing yoga nidra or conscious sleep, that they actually moved into these very deep states of sleep like Delta and Theta in places where they shouldn't have been conscious of conversations that were happening in the room because the body and the brain was signaling that it was asleep and the mind was asleep and that they were in a deep dream of sleep, but yet they could recount exactly what was happening in the room while they were in these states. So Yoga Nidra, I feel like, is really this beautiful practice that allows us to receive rest, sleep, because we move into these sleep stages, and a spiritual awakening. You have a, a chapter in the book called, um, What Does It Mean to Relax? Mm -hmm. That I found really helpful, especially in managing my own expectations around what happens when you drop into these deep states of consciousness that we're rarely like attending to, quite frankly, that are really dormant and often neglected. Um, and so I was hoping you could speak to that because I think um, I think when we think relax, 
I'm thinking about my mother. Um, mm. We think Netflix binge, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or, you know, or sometimes we think, you know, not doing work, but scrolling Twitter. I don't know. So I, I, I was like, what does it mean to relax and what should we be prepared for mm. in those states? Mm. That is such a nuanced question because, you know, what I would say to the listener is to ask yourself the question, what does it mean to relax? What comes forward for you in your body and in your mind when you think of the idea of surrendering completely and letting go? Because for not everyone is that answer going to be, oh my goodness, that sounds blissful. If we have suffered from traumas in this lifetime or any other lifetime, there may be a different reaction to that. The idea of being told to relax might not feel safe, right? And so we have to really um, set ourselves up for being as comfortable as possible yet making sure that we feel like we're in a safe space to practice. So that safe space to practice includes who is the person who is leading you in the practice? Where are you doing the practice? How is the body um, set up during the practice? Because most of the times when you see people practicing yoga nidra, they're practicing with an eye pillow on, they have, they're lying down in a prone position, their arms are out, their legs are out to the sides, and they're completely relaxed. That might not feel comfortable for you. For someone else, it may feel comfortable to lean up against the wall, facing the door, legs crossed with eyes slightly open, or sitting even in a chair, or lying on the bed. So we have to, there's inquiry, I think, that we have to do about um, what it means to relax, who modeled relaxation or self-care even for us in the past? What messages did we receive? Who are our ancestors? Even what happened on the land that you were resting on? Right? So there's so many different things. Um, but what you can generally expect is to start to feel now, remember, we talked about this idea of yoga nidra being a pratyahara practice, which also means that it's a laya yoga practice, and laya yoga is the yoga of dissolution. So when we continue to practice, at some points, we may begin to feel as though the body itself begins to dissolve, right? It becomes so relaxed, it begins to dissolve, and then we become aware of our energy. And maybe even we become aware of thoughts and perhaps we even see flashes of memories as we start to move into this place between waking and sleeping. And so it's a, it's a deep practice that is very healing. And I think that one of the things to know or to ask yourself is, what am I ready for? Right. And so starting with the simple grounding practice, um, 
is always really good. Just something very simple where you can just allow each body part to slowly relax so that you can notice where are you holding tension in the body? Can you release it? You know, um, yoga nidra is a practice, like I said, that can really, really reveal. It's a revealing practice. It's a practice that reveals the truth to you. I want to give a special shout out to our community of supporters on Patreon who are making it possible for us to do this work, especially in a moment when we are being called to work harder than ever to expose the inequities in our systems and advocate for the policies that take care of everyone. Citizen Podcast was designed for truth seekers, bridge builders, and emerging activists who are yearning to make a difference. We're not afraid to ask hard questions and have radical dialogue about politics and patriarchy, white supremacy and worthiness. And we're serious about showing up for one another and taking action for the well-being of everyone. But we can't do it alone. And building this community on Patreon is our way of sustaining this work in relationship and in accountability with you. By joining our community for as little as $2 per month, you help us create content and resources that matter to this moment. And you get lots of good stuff from us, like early access to our episodes, live meetups with guests, ally toolkits, and exclusive content. Not only does community support keep us going, but it keeps us accountable and real and pushing the envelope of courageous conversations that are independent, transparent, and authentic. Please join us at patreon.com slash citizenwell. I'd love to, um, and I, I think that this is, um, I think that this is common, but I know that this is true for me, um, that somewhere, you know, embedded in my tissues and cells, there is an addiction to tension. Mm -hmm. Um, there's an attachment to it, you know, and that there are many times in my life where I choose tension over, um, rest or over space. Um, or over vulnerability and opening. And I know, by the way, that there's a role of tension, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. in, in helping us discern and, and feel and connect and navigate. Um, and it does feel like we live in a culture that encourages um, an attachment to tension um, that benefits in many ways, right? From our attachment and addiction to tension. And so how do, how do you work with people right? Who are, are trying to like, um, um, navigate that transition. It feels precarious at times, you know, and I've, I've, and I've worked with you before and I've experienced that, that, you know, in the beginning phases, there's a real resistance in my body to letting go. Mm -hmm. And that I can, I can find all sorts of things to do very subtly, yeah. whether it's like, let my mind travel or like, start to like, you know, do something with my fingers, right. Or blink a lot. You know, I'll just like find something to occupy this space. This reminds me of what you were saying before, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed mm -hmm. to like surrendering um, into this space. And so how do we work with that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So, so two things that I would say is that the practice of yoga nidra is all, is all about being supported, right? So the support is going to look different for each person. Um, and we can talk about the physical support, right? That your body is going to be physically supported, but we can also talk about the things that will also help to support us, which, you know, when we're doing our teacher trainings, we always have a list of three or four therapists, psychotherapists, because we're not therapists. And many times when there's tension, the tension is protecting something, right? Even if you think about your body, sometimes the tension is protecting a weak muscle, right? And it's habitual, so it's, it's something that really needs to be addressed little by little, because if there's trauma, we need to proceed with care. And for me, inquiry is really um, a key component to practice, is being able to really inquire into what does it feel like when you even think about releasing that tension, what comes forward? Who would you be if you let go of all of the tension? And what do you get out of staying in a holding pattern? And then we start to work with those things in practice. You know, so it, it's definitely much more complex. You know, there's, there's teachers like Richard Miller, um, who's the founder of IREST who is a psychotherapist and he's dedicated his entire life. Um, his whole work is about using this practice to heal people from PTSD. So there is, uh, there are modalities and ways in which you can work with it. You know, if you think about yoga one of the, the definitions of yoga um, that I understand is when the pairs of opposites cease to exist, right? And so a lot of times you can work with opposites, you know, this feeling of tension, the feeling of release, the feeling of hot, the feeling of cold, the feeling of heavy, the feeling of light, and then beginning to feel that there's a balance there. You know, I remember doing a, a practice one time um, shortly after my father had passed away. And um, there was a lot of uh, drama and pain happening in the family around his kind of untimely um, death. And so it was very, very raw. And I was in this weekend training and the teacher um, asked us to feel into the most prevalent emotion or feeling, and that feeling was grief. And then he asked us, <clears throat> excuse me, to cultivate the opposite feeling. And so we kind of felt into where the grief was in the body. And then the other opposite was joy. And where was joy in the body? And then you would go from one to the other, from joy to grief. This is what I was doing in my own body because that's what I was experiencing. And, and you know, what the, the realization is is that both can exist simultaneously. 
both are there. But if, we, if we're not doing practice, we tend to cling on to the one that feels most present. And then before you know it, that becomes a habit. And then that habit becomes our personality. Mm-hmm. And then the personality is the one who is still grieving without any joy. Mm. The one who's become contracted in that, in that space. And so that's the beauty of, of Richard Miller's work. Um, yeah. And I love this idea of, of <clears throat> inquiry and, um, and, and I love where you just went around, like, how do we get, um, stuck in patterns and stuck in survival shapes and how do we get out of it? And, you know, I come from a a lineage of, of caretakers, of first responders, of like hardcore doers. In fact, when you ask the question, like who of your ancestors rested, who did you know? And I was like, no one, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I have no memory of any of my living ancestors at least. Um, having an ability to rest. And I have an amazing memory, right, of many of them being of service and and giving and doing and and keeping them and caretaking and so on and so forth. And that sort of binary inquiry that you're you're setting up has been really helpful for me in sort of breaking down my own habits and my own patterns because I can hold the part of me that's protecting something sacred with compassion, but I can also ask the question, what is it costing me? Mm-hmm. And that, that question has helped me. So I just really appreciate that. How do we hold the binary so that we can dissolve the binary? Cause that's, that's been the very thing that's allowed me to not just like make visible, like ingrained shapes and patterns, but also dis- disrupt them and choose to do something different. Yeah. And so it's interesting um, when you say choose to do something different, that's the kind of space that is created when you practice is that it gives you the space not to continue into the groove that you've been running for your whole life, but it gives you the space to say, Oh, let me pause, be still and notice that I can turn my face in the other direction and freedom is over here. And I feel like this type of, as you're calling it, disruption is really the same disruption that is needed on a global level in order to be able to heal all of the pandemics. Because without that, you're still running in the groove. You're still doing the same thing, thinking the same thing, acting the same way. You haven't given yourself any kind of space for any other perspective or any other truth to arise. And the truth arising is scary. What will happen if I stop moving is scary. And we have to have the courage to be able to face that and push through and let that friction of the pushing through and going against the grain of what we normally would do be the thing that is the fire that transforms us. Yes. You know, this and this, what you're describing in like the container and the practice and the conscious um, 
inquiry and choosing has also really helped me confront whiteness. You know, I had to like ask the question, like, what has kept me in this cycle for mm-hmm. so long? Yeah. Right. What has kept me yeah. opting in to the cycle for so long? Right. Um, and, and when I asked that question, it was like fear, right? Familiarity, insecurity, uncertainty. And, and then I was like, I don't want to be imprisoned by those things. Right. I want to be free. And so like, this sort of paradigm that you're describing has, I feel like to your point is, is not just essential in how we navigate rest and, and, and like physical health. I think like this to me is, um, the terrain, right. For how we, how we create space to come up against some of the biggest obstacles that we are facing to our, our, our full freedom and well-being. That is 100% correct. That's why this is a yoga practice. And the eighth limb of yoga is samadhi, right? It is this place of ultimate freedom, spiritual liberation. But we have to do the work ourselves at the deepest level of removing these obstacles and disrupting our thought patterns and our beliefs and questioning where do these beliefs come from? and allowing for space for truth to arise before we can do any other work or anything else. Because as far as I'm concerned, you're still looking out of that windscreen that still has specks of dirt and dust on it because we haven't cleared the windscreen. So we really need to be able to take this on as our personal work to free ourselves so that we can help to have a better world and that we can not distract ourselves because, you know, it's distraction is not going to get us anywhere. There's 500,000 people who have died from COVID and we've distracted ourselves into not feeling the grief. Yes. You know, whereas less than 20 years ago, we can think about 9-11 and the grief that we felt that was just felt unbearable and compare that to the grief that seems to be being felt now. On a daily basis. it's it's, It's shocking that we can go just about our business, but what, but here's the question. It's like, what happens if I'm still enough to really take that in? Mm -hmm. Well, and what happens if we don't? Well, well, but that's the, that's what's happening is we, that's where we are. But what's the cost of that, right? Like, it's like, what will become of us yeah. If we let this moment pass and 600, 700,000 people total are lost and we haven't created the space to, to grieve um, all of those lives, real people, aunts, uncles, grandfathers, grandmothers, sisters, brothers, neighbors, coworkers. Um, and I'm with you entirely, you know, 2,997 people died on 9-11. I know that number very intimately. Um, I've lived with that number for, you know, almost 20 years now. And 
500,000 is unfathomable to me. Like I literally cannot wrap my mind. And I say that because I would sit through every year on 9-11 and I would listen to every name read and I know exactly how long that takes. Yeah. And I, I've done that as well is to go back to the website and look at every single picture. So it's, we have, we have to change. We have to change. And if we can change by practicing the practices of non-doing instead of the practices of doing and, 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 and distraction, because those are also practices you get to choose which practice do you want to do? Do you That's want the right. doing practice the, or do you want the non-doing practice? Do you want the healing practice or do you want the practice that's going to make you exhausted? And so we have to choose. The question is, which one are you going to choose? So I want to ask you about those choices because um, you're one of those people that I look to <laughs> as making really intentional choices with your life. Um, with your everyday, with how you design your time. Um, and I know you have like lots of like design mechanisms and hacks for like your life planning stuff, but I, I would love for you to share with us, like, how do you, how do you turn off from like the onslaught of stimulation? And I'm almost thinking about it also, you know, now that we're like in this zoom world, I don't know if you feel this, but in some ways I feel like people are penetrating my personal space on a deeper level. Like there's a window into my home mm, mm. many hours a day and people think I'm working 24 seven. Right. <laughs> and so like, so I'm curious, like, how do you choose? Like, what are, mm -hmm. what do you do to choose to protect your space and time? What are some of, what are some of your tricks and tools and choices and um, mm. rituals and methodologies that you can share with us? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. I think the first thing is I don't allow the onslaught. You know, I, I, I way back when, um, when I was producing movies, uh, you know, it was one of these things where people expect you because you're in charge of millions of dollars and A-list movie stars and all the things they expect you to be available at a beck and call. And luckily I had been practicing yoga for many years when I first, you know, became successful at, at producing films. And I realized that I did not want to be at someone's beck and call that I was not somebody who stayed up until midnight or one in the morning. I followed my dad's rule of going to bed early and waking up early. And so I started by setting a time limit of, I don't answer the phone after seven 30 because I'm going to sleep at, you know, nine 30 and I'm waking up early. Um, I, I was really aware that by not stretching myself thin, that I was able to actually be more productive during the day while I was working than I was if I was tired and if I was exhausted. And I've really kind of kept that um, philosophy even after leaving the film business, which is basically, I'm really aware of my cycles during the day. So my cycle of creativity starts the moment that I wake up, do my practice after my practice and until about 12 o'clock. So in general, I'm not setting meetings before a certain time. 
I know that once the sun is starting to go down, my body clock is also starting to say, okay, it's time to start to transition. I love to, if I can, be in a place where I can watch the sun setting or at least see the light in the sky of the sun setting. So, you know, I'm not booking things after five o'clock. Like my last appointment is going to end at five o'clock. Um, I'm going to make sure that I have time to rest during the day. And even if that rest is just taking a nap, uh, or it's a 15 minute yoga nidra practice or a three minute yoga nidra practice, I have enough tools to be able to weave practice throughout the day, as opposed to saying, I've got to find an hour to lay down because sometimes that isn't going to happen, but I know that I can find five minutes. I know that I can find 10 minutes and I know for sure that I can book in my day with spaciousness and stillness at the very beginning of my day and at the very end of my day. So for me, it's really about weaving practice, awareness, and stillness into moments in my day when I can capture them and creating boundaries and just being really clear with people. I mean, I'm sure you've gotten more than one email response back from me, like auto response saying, I'm resting, <laughs> I'm not answering any emails, right? And and I basically call you the queen of boundaries. <laughs> and we can't be afraid to do that. I mean, what I would say that there's definitely been times in my former career where I wouldn't even have thought about putting on an autoresponder, right? Saying I'm resting. That would just be like, what do you mean? You're re- what does that mean? You're resting. And now what I've noticed is since I've started doing this, other people I know have started doing this, I get autoresponders all the time from people saying I'm resting. I'm in my creative mode. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I'm not answering emails until such and such, or I take Fridays off, or I only answer my emails in this two hour window on these days. So you basically help to um, create expectations for what you are available for. When you create boundaries and you're really clear about your boundaries and why you're creating these boundaries, You create expectations for other people to understand what you are available for. And at the same time, you give them permission to do the same thing. You give them permission to say, hold on a minute. I'm going to reclaim rest for myself too. How can I start to reframe my day so that I only have to sit in front of my computer answering emails for an hour and a half a day or two times a week? or take one day off as my Sabbath where you're just not going to get an answer on my phone or anything else. And so those are things, and I think we have to be radical about them Um, because rest is vital to our health. Practices like yoga nidra are vital to our spiritual health and for our clarity to be able to really take that truth that we receive from the practice and then be clear about the direction that we need to move in life and how and when we can be just completely clear and decisive about what we need to do in the world. I love that you're naming boundaries because I just want to say that I've learned so much from you around boundaries. And 
and not only did it give me more space to, um, to listen to what my body needed, but it gave me, um, it transformed my relationships. Mm. Mm. Like it, it actually like really helped my relationships and it eliminated the like uncertainty of like, is she available? Is she not available? Why isn't she answering? Like it actually literally created like new agreements for me to be in relationship with people. And so, and that has been like such a big um, aha moment for me around boundaries and, and, and just like a, um, a benefit that I never expected. Yeah, I'm glad you're talking about relationships because I think that for me, and you can hear my dog Bodhi barking in the background. Love it. <laughs> um, for me, I feel like it also helped me to respect other people's boundaries and to really see that, oh, my beloved actually has this thing in the morning where he needs this transitional time, right, from... He, waking up to working out to doing whatever he's doing. There's like an hour of time that needs to be transitional. That's his boundary, even though he doesn't like speak the boundary energetically, I can feel that there's a need for the boundary for, for him to have space. And I can also then when other people are not available, when I need, need, need something, then I can also feel like, Oh, they're not available. And I have to deal with that because I got to honor the fact that they, this is their rhythm and their space that they're protecting. We have to protect our space. It's yeah. super important. And, and each other. And I, I love that. That's just like one more medicine that I think we need in this moment. I just want to say that this book um, is, is right on time. Um, I mean, really like it's a book that is exactly for this moment. I mean, I want to just say it's probably been like for too, for too many people too late because people have needed rest for so long and, um, it's taken us a long time to wake up to that. But, um, for folks contemplating all the things that we've spoken about, contemplating well-being and wholeness and freedom um, and, um, and, you know, not just personal freedom, political freedom in the ways that you spoke to it. Um, this book is really a pathway. It's a real invitation to like go deeper and do something different. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you've made this offering. Thank you. Thank you. Cause it really is, it's my offering of my humble understanding of the practices that I've been given from my teachers, the practices that I've been doing that the experiences that I've had um, and how they can really become relevant so that we can really reclaim our true nature. So thank you for seeing that. It means a lot to me. While this podcast is coming to an end, our work in the world is just beginning. This week's call to action is to rest, really rest, and to be curious about the ways you are asleep in your life so that we can wake up to the truth of who we are and who we are to one another. Tracy's book, Radiant Rest, is a spiritual field guide for how we recover and reclaim ourselves through rest. You can buy the book at radiantrest.com. And follow Tracy on Instagram for more inspiration at Tracy underscore Stanley. Full links and resources in the show notes. 
Okay, it's time for our gratitude slam. Special shout out to DJ Drez for the amazing soundtrack. You can check out his music at djdrez.com. To our executive producer who puts it all together and makes it sound great, Trevor Exter, and to the amazing team at Citizen Well that brings our mission to life. And thank you for being here today. You can stay in the know and engaged by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter, Well Read, at citizenwell.org. Citizen Podcast is community-inspired and crowdsourced. That's how we keep it real. Join our community on Patreon for as little as $2 per month so that we can keep doing the work of curating content that matters for communities who care. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And share the love by telling your friends to check us out. 